I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I am a teacher because I'll go back to the Greek text of the New Testament and the Hebrew of the Old. Besides, I go back to the culture, the customs, the idioms, the metaphors, figures of speech. When they said something, what it meant. We've got all kinds of study books. I've got several thousand books in my library in my house probably one of the best research libraries anywhere. And I research constantly in my library. I want to know what did they mean in the first century when they said something. I've been teaching on Wednesday about predestination. And I'm going to talk more on that. Predestination. I've been teaching on prayer, prayer, and the Sabbath. This is about the fourth week I've talked about this. There's a lot of things I have to say about it, but I always have to give you the definition of the words. Predestinate is the word prohorizo. Pro meaning before. It's our prefix Pre means before. A prefix is something on the front of a word. Pro would be the prefix of horizo. Horizo, you pronounce it H-O-R-I-Z-O. This little mark there, that's called a diacritical mark. D-I-A-C-R-I-T-I-C-A-L diacritical mark and it means it has a breathing sound has a ho an H sound there's no H's in the Greek alphabet there is that diacritical mark sometimes the diacritical mark will be on the second syllable and it would say if it was on this second syllable, it would be ohorizo, but it's on the first syllable, so it's horizo. Even Mr. Strong says it is the horizon. Horizon is the division of day and night, or light and dark. Light. And you have to notice that when you're in the dark, you can't see the horizon. You can see the horizon when you're in the light. So we've been determined, the persons that God knew, they've been predetermined to be in the light. That's the will of God. Will of God, God had to pick out a people. And the main reason, there's a real simple definition of predestination. I usually give it every time I get up and I preach on it. The Bible says there's none righteous no not one in Romans 3 10 11 and 12 there's none righteous there's none that seeketh after God there's none that doeth good well if nobody is righteous nobody gets to go to heaven unless God picks out a certain people picks out people and puts faith in their heart. We're saved by grace through faith, and it's by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. 
But in I could not understand that when I was young. That really frustrated me. My father, an old independent Baptist preacher, will say you're saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. He'd quote that, but he didn't know what it meant. And but that's the pistis is the is the noun. That's the noun. That's the way you spell faith in the Greek. If you look it up in a Strong's Concordance or look it up in an interlinear Bible, it will be spelled this way. Believe is spelled P-I-S-T-E-U-O. The part of the word that's the same as P-I-S-T, that's called the stem of the word. Everything else is built on the stem. These are basically the same word. One is the verb, the other is the noun. So we're saved by grace through faith, and we have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But since there's none that seeketh after God, we can't believe or have faith. So God has to put faith put faith in the hearts of all of his elect family. Elect is the word, is the word eklektos, E-K-K-L-E-T, eklektos, and it means to favor. So God favors a certain people out of everybody that's, ever been on the face of the earth and it's just a few of the people that he chooses to go through the narrow way the rest are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction people say i don't like the idea that god fits people to go to hell well whether you like it and whether you think that we're not god says your thoughts are my thoughts and you can't think like i think but he fits them for hell and he elects his family predestinate the word grace is the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And charis means unmerited favor. So it is very closely related to the word elect or election because it means favor that is unmerited. You didn't do anything to be chosen by God for him to put by his will we were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And then prayer means, it's the word prosukumai. Prosukumai, this is kind of an introduction going into predestination. I always put this on the board. It comes from pros. It is not the word pro. This means before. Pros, pro means toward or for. Toward or for? If you're pro-life, you're for life. Pros means for or toward. And UK means to desire. A-U-C-H-E. It means to will or desire. So prayer means to will or desire oneself towards the will of another. Or bow to the will of God. Jesus said when we pray... We're to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We, when you pray, thy will be done, you're not letting God have his will in your life. You're acknowledging that it is happening in your life. His will is being done whether you bow to it or not. When you start praying, you start saying, Lord, 
let me do your will. I have been doing my will by pursuing my my job, my the woman I want, the the person I want, the material things I want. I've been pursuing me, and that's been putting me in a lot of situations that I shouldn't be in. So when you start bowing to the will of God, you alter your life. You actually, when you really start praying, when the apostle said, Lord, teach us to pray, he gave them this, what we call the Lord's Prayer. So when you start bowing to the will of God, you watch your step, you start saying, I don't need to be associating with people. I don't need to be around. I need to withdraw from people who walk disorderly. I need to have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. You cannot pray and be bound to the will of God and be running around with evil people so you can get ahead in life. I did that. I know what that's like. I wasn't praying back then. I was bowing to my will. So the opposite of prayer is self-will. It's, and you get yourself in hot water every time you turn around. So you're not supposed to be doing that. I've got all kinds of things that have to do with the will of God. I've been talking about the Sabbath. That's about God's will. That's what it's about. When you come to the place of understanding the sovereignty of God, Sovereign means over all. That God is ahead of everything, the good, the bad, the evil. When you believe in the sovereign will of God, believing in predestination puts you in a state of mind where you say, I'm going to guide my personal life everywhere I can in His will. When I get off the track, I start associating with the wrong people like in the music business when I was in that I was associating with a bunch of heathens I was and it was mostly in gospel music it wasn't in the pop music I sang they were all heathens but the gospel people were trying to pretend to love God and sleeping around and drinking and cussing you say gospel singers do that oh yes they do yes and they think they can tell little off-color jokes with each other all the time, backstage, even on the stage while they're singing. I have heard stuff when I was out on the stage, and I thought, this is disgusting. I was seeking the wrong thing. I was seeking my will, and fire is what causes you to seek the will of God and begin to pray. You can't pray until you're ready to crucify your will, your desires. I don't have the desires I used to have, even when I was 45, especially when I was in my mid late 30s. When I went into real estate and I was wanting to be a rich real estate agent, when I was in the music business and I wanted to be a famous star, that was in opposition to the will of God. You can't be a famous star and be in God's will if the whole world likes you. If you're real famous, the thing I really hate when I watch somebody, I can't hardly watch famous singers on TV. I see them basking going, Oh, ain't I wonderful? I saw the Johnny Cash show the other night. Boy, this plant. And it's like he's just grinning, like I'm real happy that you're all applauding for me. 
And all of, all of Nashville loved Johnny Cash. All the world liked him. All the world liked Billy Graham. All the world likes the big superstars in music, in sports. Everybody likes Tom Brady. Except me. I don't like Billy Graham. I had to learn that he was too popular. The Bible says, Woe unto you, O-U-A-I. What I'm talking about is prayer. You have to get rid of your will. You have to get rid of your glory. Your glory. O-U-A-I is a cry of damnation. Woe unto you, O-U-A-I, when all men speak well of you. The entire world spoke well of Billy Graham. He was liked by everybody, by every religion, by the Pentecostals, by the Baptists, by the Church of Christ, by the people that were in a bar, by people that were in pop concerts, they would recognize him wherever he went, and he never said anything that made people angry. He was well-liked. He was very famous. All these other real famous men, they were also famous and well-liked. You can just name them. I saw Roy Rogers on the Internet the other night. He was so well-liked. He was. He said one time, he said, somebody up there likes me. Somebody in heaven. He said, I have lived a charmed life. You can't live a charmed life. Roy Rogers is one of the most popular men that has ever lived in America. He was the king of the cowboys. Back in the 40s, he was voted king of all the cowboy stars in Hollywood. He became a multimillionaire, and he was liked by everybody. He even said in this interview, he said, I, all the people in the world grew up with me. He said, everybody in the world, and everybody liked him. That is an indictment against him. He always let Dell Evans give their testimony. He wouldn't do it. He didn't want to blemish his, his popularity. Because he didn't really believe much of anything. Warn you when all men speak well of you. There's another verse in James 4 and 4. Know you not that friendship with the world is enmity against God. And whosoever be a friend of the world. Friend of world. is the enemy of God. When you want to go out and be the world's friend and you want to be famous, you're in trouble with God at the judgment. That's every superstar in Nashville, in Hollywood. Have you noticed those people divorce at the drop of a hat? They trade wives about every four, five, six, eight weeks. Some, a few of them last a little longer. Very few of them last a lifetime. If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. 
Friendship with the world is enmity, E-C-H-T-H-R-A. Ekthra means hostile. If the world likes you, you're hostile to God. If you're one of God's predestinated elect, he's going to cause you to pray and he's going to cancel your life. He's going to cause you to cancel associating with people that can make you famous because you were called to be infamous. Bless you to ye when men shall. Bless you to ye when men shall reproach you. You're blessed. You're fortunate. Bless, Makurios, M-A-K-U-R-I-O-S. Makurios means fortunate. You're fortunate when you are reproached. O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. Aniidzo means to be infamous. Not famous, infamous. You're only blessed when you're infamous. These singers, famous singers, when they talk about being a Christian in country music, I don't believe that. If you're a Christian, you take your cross and die. In order to take your cross and die, you have to be condemned to a cross. Crosses were only for criminals and slaves. Jesus was crucified as a criminal for blaspheming God in the sight of the Pharisees. It was the Pharisees that killed him. The Romans were merely the instrument at the hands of the Pharisees. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. They said, if you don't kill him and crucify him, we're going to tell Caesar on you. So he had to do that or lose his position. Now, Sabbath means rest. S-A-B-B-A-T-O-N or S-A-B-B-A-T-H. Several ways to spell it. And it means rest. When you begin to believe everything that God is doing, you start you start seeking His will. You quit trying to be somebody hanging around hanging around famous people. The only reason people hang around famous people is they want it to rub off on them. Rub off on them. And they know that it takes people at the top to pull for them, to make them famous and make them God's enemy. All famous people that are liked by the whole world, you can start naming them right and left. That's, I can't even, some people want to watch these voice, all these people that come on and they want to say, oh, isn't he a good singer, isn't she a good singer? I say, yeah, they got enough, they got enough talent to send them to hell. Unless God stops them. I hung around a lot of those people. I made so enemies up, so many enemies of them because I wouldn't do a lot of things they wanted done. I had people insult me, get sarcastic with me. 
had a guy we were going to this group I had was going to sign a contract with RCA Victor and one of the big heads of RCA said Mr. Brown you're going to have to change your attitude what he meant I have to act like a pawn and let them move me around on the chessboard and I said well we're out of here goodbye you cannot have your way you cannot have your way and your will and be resting in the in the in the things that God does when you rest in a spiritual Sabbath rest is because you believe everything that God said and everything that he is doing I don't believe most of those people that are famous are going to heaven when they die people say you're judging we're supposed to judge John 7, 24 says, look not at the outward appearance. Don't look at how pretty somebody is, how famous they are, how glib they are. Don't look at how many connections they've got. Judge righteous judgment. Judge Crino. And the righteous judgment has already decided guilt or innocence according to the word of God. Crino means means to judge guilty or innocent and every, and people will come along and say well God uh, God says don't, judge not he didn't say that he didn't say judge not he said you judge not in, in Matthew 7 and 1 the Bible starts off that verse with judge not lest you be judged. Judge not. Anytime you start a sentence with a verb, there's an understood subject, you. Don't you do the crino, the judging, the deciding guilt or innocent, because with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and what measure you meet, it'll be measured to you again. If you judge righteous judgment, you pronounce God's judgment that if you're famous, you're not infamous, you're not being reproached, and you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Deal with it. Now, people don't like that, but that's their problem. And I'm going to talk to you about the spiritual Sabbath. Spiritual rest. I'm gonna. I've started to start with something else, but I'm gonna start with this. Let's go over here. To we'll look at the Sabbath. The Sabbath was filled with rituals. The Sabbath had all kinds of rituals through it. And it had all kinds of requirements on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is when you believe God. You have to believe in predestination because the Bible says, for whom he did foreknow. It says, for whom? People want to argue about what God predestined. For whom? Whom is not events. It's a people. 
whom he did foreknow. It doesn't say whom he foreknew about or whom he foreknew would accept Christ as their Savior. Did Jesus know who would accept him? Yes. Did God know who would accept him? Yes. Who then? Nobody. Nobody in their physical mind will accept Christ. They're dead in sin and they have no ability to do right. Paul said, so how to perform that which is good? I don't find in me the outer man. I can't perform right. He said, to sin is ever with me. To will to do wrong is with me. And he said, you cannot do right. Nobody will accept him. The Bible says, whom he foreknew. Whom is a people. We know that because in the original Greek text, in the interlinear Bible over here, in a Strong's Concordance, when you look the word up, in the interlinear Bible, exactly how it's spelled, in the Greek text, Greek is on the top line, English is right under it. In the Greek text, it is the word hus. Just like this. O-U-S, and it has the H sound in that diacritical mark. Hum is masculine gender. That's a people he foredoo. Masculine and singular. And it doesn't say whom he knew would accept him as their personal Savior. No one dead in sin will accept Christ. When you're dead in sin, you won't accept him. The natural man, natural, P-S-U, C-H-I-K-O-S. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man, Sukikos. We get the word suke, P-S-U-C-H-E. That is the word soul. A soul is a being with breath in it. It can smell. It can see. can taste. It can touch. It can hear. The five senses, it, that's the sensual man. The physical man, it means the physical. We get our word physical from that. A soul, eight souls were saved through water. That meant Noah, his wife, and his three sons and their wives. Eight souls were saved through water. It means eight people. A soul is a person with a breath and the feelings and so forth in it. So a soul is a person. That's what a whom is. It's a person. It's a people. Whom God foreknew. Forno, prognosco, P-R-O, G-I-N-O-S-K-O. Whether people like that or not, that's a construction of gnosko. It means to know. When you're talking about a people, it's talking about to know intimately. Whom he foredo as his. Pro means before. He knew us before the foundation of the world. He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. 
but he chose us to be holy. Holy Hagios. And without blame, Amamos. Before him in love, Agape, walking in the commandments of God, you can't, he knows us as a pure, unblameless people that's walking in his commandments. And that's what we're predestined to. Humi fortu prognosco. Those are the ones he's predestined. Pro horizo. He's predestined us to be conformed. Let me say tell you something about to be conformed. To be conformed is actually an infinitive. Now, one of the writers in the, one of the translators gave the wrong definition on that. He said that conform, to be conformed was a verb. That was in the complete biblical library. They have every word parsed. They got this wrong. Let me tell you why they got it wrong. A lot of those translators get things wrong. Half the translators of the King James Bible were Roman Catholics, and they translated some things wrong. The To be conformed is a verb, but to be is always on the front. The men that translated this knew that to be was always, the, was in the English, it was always put before an infinitive. Now I looked in I looked in my several lexicons several lexicons now here's what they told me they told me that to be conformed was in the accusative case let me tell you what that means let me show you how these I'm going to show you how these guys can get off base you can't have an accusative case where it is a verb a verb shows action I'm going to say this real slow I hope you can get a hold of it accusative voice doesn't necessarily show action. Accusative voice, you have you have singular plural, masculine, feminine, neuter gender under the singular, masculine, feminine, neuter gender under the plural. Then you've got the cases. You've got you got the nominative, genitive, dative an accusative case, the nominative case is going to be either the subject or the predicate nominative. The genitive case, these are all different ways you spell these words. They all have a different spelling. If it's masculine, feminine, neuter, gender, and all these cases, it's where it is in the sentence as to how it's spelled. 
then you've got the genitive case shows possession. If people looked at these cases, they wouldn't say some of the things that their doctrine says. In the genitive case, baptism of repentance, this is what that's in of repentance is in the is in the genitive case when you look it up. Being genitive case, that means true baptism belongs to repentance. That's what it means. It couldn't be water. It don't mean when you're dipped in water, you're repentant. Repentant means to be turned and think differently. You would have to be thinking differently when you were dipped down into water, having water sprinkled on you. Baptism is blood. He's washed us from our sins in his own blood. And baptism is, a blood baptism was a death. It was a martyrdom. Jesus asked James and John, can you be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? So true baptism is the narrow way. John came preaching the baptism of repentance, which was prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And there's only one way to heaven. That's the narrow, the Thalibo way. And we get the word Thalipsis from that. And Thalipsis is the word tribulation. We must through much tribulation. That is the daily cross, the death to self, the blood baptism. Well, the dative case is the indirect object. Jim through John the ball. Ball is the direct object. It is it receives the action of the verb through Jim through ball. He didn't throw John. He threw the ball to John. That's the indirect object or the dative case. I said all that to say this. When when you get out of one of these analytical lexicons that to be conformed is accusative case, that's a direct object. That is always a noun, a noun, or a pronoun. Noun or pronoun. Pronoun takes the place of a noun. Jim threw the ball. Or he threw John the ball. Well, a dative, an accusative case. Jim threw ball. Ball is a noun. So in the accusative case, when they say that in one of these analytical lexicons, accusative case always has to be, in all of those places, it has to be a noun, usually, or a pronoun, and it is never, accusative case is never a verb. But being a noun, to be conformed is an infinitive, and that is, it is a noun, but it has verbal character.
verbal. I've had people ask me, what does that mean? I told a lady the other day that baptism, to be baptized, was an infinitive. When you look, when you look at baptize in the McClinican Strong, it will tell you it was a verbal noun. I know what a verbal noun is. It's an infinitive. This lady asked me, what do you mean by an infinitive? I said, there's a verbal there's a verb, verbal movement to something in a verbal noun, but it shows the fluid is coming from an outer source upon the subject, and baptize comes from bapto, baptizo, and bapto, and it means to cover, bapto, with a stain or a dye. That's what baptized means. It don't matter whether anybody like no or the Church of Christ likes it or not, or the Baptists like it or not. That's what it means. It means the fluid is coming from an outer source. It's coming from God. It's the blood of Christ. And he's washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's true baptism. So to be conformed being an infinitive it's showing an action coming upon us that have been predestined that have been prohorizo to be conformed that is an action in our life an action by God to conform us to Christ that's an infinitive there and that means God's work is going to come up on us, the fire or the blood baptism is going to come up on us and cause us to conform to Christ's icon, likeness. Likeness. That has to do with us learning to pray. We will pray after he deals with us and puts his fire, his blood baptism on us. You don't learn to pray all of a sudden. You can't just learn the words, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father is God. Hallowed, hallowed, hagiazo, H-A-G-I-A-Z-O. It means to sanctify your name in my life. Sanctify comes from the word hagios. Hagios is the word holy. Holy. And hagiazo is a form of, of holy. It means to sanctify or set apart. Set apart. Your name Name is the word onoma in the Greek. It means authority. God set aside your authority in my life. Set aside your name. We have to crucify our will. You can't start praying to God unless you say your will is being done. You're not permitting him to have his will. His will, he works all things after the counsel of his own will. 
He's been doing that all of our lives. He declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times. Everything that's not yet done in your life, here you are, and everything that happens in your life, he's already declared. What you have to do is learn to bow to that, and that's God sanctifying you by the fiery trial, which is the blood baptism. Yeah. Do we have to know all that? No, but the more of it you know, the more easier your life will be to live. So all of this is connected together. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom is coming. The movement of that verb, thy kingdom come, means it has been coming and it is continued to come because the kingdom of God is in you, Jesus said in John in Luke 17, 20 and 21, the kingdom of God is in you. Kingdom of God was a term for Israel. And the Bible says, if I with the finger of God cast out devils, finger of God cast out devils, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. If I with the finger, what does he do with his finger? He writes on fleshy tables of our hearts. He wrote in tables of stone over here in the Old Testament. And everything he wrote in tables of stone, all the rituals are blotted out now. So every ritual you had with the Sabbath... Every ritual you had with the Passover, every ritual, every sacrifice that was made, every ritual you had with the Pentecost, every ritual, every ritual you had with the day with the Day of Atonement, and the Day of Atonement came in the seventh month. Day of Atonement. It came along with the Feast of Ingathering. Ingathering. Every ritual you had in these things. Ingathering. Another term for ingathering was the Feast of Huts. That was just a different term for Feast of Ingathering. Another term was Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles. And all of these had rituals with them. And all those rituals were blotted out. But the spiritual is here. Blotted out. The law comes in two parts. It comes in the letter which is the rituals and the spirit. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. And all that is left in the Day of Atonement, in the Pentecost, in the Sabbath, in the Passover, the only thing is left is the spirit. When Jesus was nailed to the cross... All the rituals were canceled. Let's look at that. Look over there in Colossians 2. And if you don't understand this, you just missed out. I'm afraid all the preachers in the world 
Looks like none of them know the truth anymore. They know nothing about the Greek text. They know nothing about the rituals. They don't know the difference between the letter and the spirit. The letter or the rituals kill. Jesus said you never were able to keep the letter of the law. You never did. So we're going to block that out. And there's a way they did that. But we're going to keep the law here. When you see the Passover. The Bible says in Exodus 12. The Passover is forever. It's never going to stop. Well, what happened when he was nailed to the cross? There's a spiritual Passover. We can prove that with the scripture. There were four items at the Passover. A lamb without blemish. Then they had then they had unleavened bread for seven days. This all was with the Passover. And then they had they had four cups. Four cups. And the third cup had an official title and we see that title in 1 Corinthians 10 and 16. The third cup was called Cup of Blessing and the Bible says the Cup of Blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? A blood baptism was a death. To drink of a cup meant to die. Jesus asked James and John can you drink the cup that I drink of? He was speaking of his death the next day on the cross. Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? He's talking about his death on the cross. The next day they said, yes, we can. He said, both of you will die the martyr's death. That's, that's a blood baptism. Now, then they had bitter herbs. Four bitter herbs. They had the unleavened bread for seven days. And Jesus and Paul said, the bread, he said, we being many are one bread and one body. We, the church, the body of Christ, are the bread of the spiritual Passover. And Jesus is the Passover lamb. Let me just show you this again. This is what really bothers me. He says here in 1 Corinthians if you're going to pass around crackers and grape juice, you're messed up. You've got to keep the spiritual Passover. You've got to keep death to self. If you don't believe in telling people about predestination because you're going to offend them, you're not drinking the cup of the spiritual Passover. If you don't want to tell somebody about Christmas is Christ's Mass and it's paganism, it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America because the Puritans outlawed it because they were killed under different names when they were in Europe. The Albigans family, the Waldens family, the Cathars, many families, they had multiplied into millions and they were killed by the millions in Europe by the Roman Catholic Church during the Inquisition. So they outlawed Christmas when they came to America. Whether you like it or not, that's the truth. Look here in 1 Corinthians. 
Here's something that really bothers me. Doesn't bother me that the Bible says it. It bothers me that they're passing around crackers and grape juice when they were eating the last Passover. All the rituals of the Passover are blotted out. Now, all the rituals of the Sabbath were blotted out. But we're in a spiritual Sabbath. I'm just simply showing you the spiritual Passover. 1 Corinthians 5. This shows you there was a man having an affair with his stepmother at Corinth. He was running around with his stepmother having sexual intimate relationship with her. And the Bible says, Deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your going is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Most people don't even know that's talking about spiritual Passover. They had to get rid of the leaven out of the household the morning of the Passover. They would get a lamp, hunt around for it on the floor, look everywhere, and when they found it, they had to take it outside the house and burn it because leaven was a type of sin. That's why they couldn't have been drinking fermented wine at the Passover fermentation had leaven in it it was a picture it was a type of of intoxicating it it was actually uh, it was a type of sin it was a type of what it takes to ferment wine so they couldn't have that at the Passover they could not possibly have been drinking intoxicating wine your glory is not good. No, you're not the little leaven. So I had to get the leaven out of the Passover. And they're fixing to talk about the Passover, the spiritual Passover, in the next verse. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new love, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Well, there's the Passover lamb. And you've got to have that at the Passover. Now, we've already got a lamb, a spiritual lamb crucified for us. Look back at Mark. This is the thing that really bothers me. There's three, or actually four, chapters about the last Passover, the night before Jesus died. And you got Matthew 24, Mark, Mark 14, and Luke 22. Look here in Mark 14. Mark 14. Now this is so-called, the the so-called communion. They weren't eating communion, they were eating the Passover. And verse 1, two days was the feast of Passover. And then verse 12, the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover. What are they going to kill? They killed the Passover lamb. Nobody ever talks about killing the Passover when they're taking communion. And it was at this last communion, or this last Passover, where they turned it into communion. The Bible says, God says, I change not, and all of my judgment shall not change 
means I don't mutate any of my judgment. He did not mutate the Passover into crackers and grape juice. So the Passover lamb is blotted out along with these other four items as well as everything on the Sabbath where they offered lambs. The priests were violating the Sabbath but they were held innocent, the Bible says. They were violating because they were working all day long at the Sabbath or at the temple. Working all day offering up lambs and goats and whatever they had to offer, lambs and bullocks, excuse me. And so they had to kill the Passover lamb. And look over here in Luke. Luke, the 21st chapter. And when people are quoting these verses for the last Passover, they never seem to be able to get to... In Luke 22. 21 or 22? Huh? Chapter 21 or 22? Chapter 22. Did I say 21? No, I didn't mean that. (laughs) 22. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. It was the Feast of the Passover. But the Lamb was also called the Passover. They don't kill the Feast. Nisan 14 was also called the Passover day, but they don't kill the day. Verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Talking about the Passover lap. Nobody ever gets to that. And then the bread which we break, is it not the communion? The the cup, isn't it the death to self isn't it's the new testament in my blood let me give you one other thing go back to matthew to show this is all spiritual go back to matthew the 24th chapter how much time to have mike 39 all right i got plenty of time here all right here in matthew 26, I've said 24, I didn't mean 24. 24 is about uh, the prophecy of the end of time. 26, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, John 13 are all about the last Passover, the night before Jesus died. He dies just about 14 to 16 hours later on a cross. And he called that drinking a cup. And then he says, in verse 26, they're eating the Passover. They're not eating crackers and drinking grape juice. And verse 26, and as they were eating, if you can back up to verse 20, and when the evening was come, he sat down with the twelve, and as they did eat the Passover... Back to verse 26. As they were eating the Passover, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. There's one body in the Bible, one body, Ephesians 4, 5 and 6. There he's talking about one, one bread and one body. The body's the church in Colossians 1.18. 
and 24. So he says, this is my body. That word is, is not the common word is. In the Greek, it's the word estein. E-S-T-I-N. The word is that that equals our word is, is E-I-N-A-I. It means to come into being. Be is is a form of the verb to be. Esteem means represents. He said, this bread represents my body. The body's the church, and we have to eat of the church. Eat doesn't mean to put in your mouth and chew, necessarily. Jesus told the apostles when they went into town to get food, when he was talking to the woman at the well in John 4, they said, have you had anything to eat? He said, I have a meat to eat of that you're not familiar with. My meat is to do. My meat is doing the will of the Father. Remember the word law in the Greek, all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Law is the word nomos. Nomos means legally prescribed food for animals, and we are sheep. Our food is the law of God. It's what we do. Lordy me. Now, let's go over here. Well, he says here, let's go over here to Colossians. Colossians 2. Colossians 2 and verse 14. I I don't know why no preachers ever see that lamb at this last gathering of so-called communion, crackers and grape juice. Where did that come from? Where did the crackers and grape juice come from? It's not hard if you read the history of the church. If you have this McClinic and Strong encyclopedia that I got up here, it is a treasury. I mean, it is a, it is a just a unbelievable amount of treasured scriptures and treasured facts. Hold on here, race this. Where? Did the crackers and grape juice come from? It came from what was called an agape love feast. We're talking about the rituals of the last Passover. And I can't go into all the rituals of all the of the Day of Atonement because that's all been... If you're going to keep all the rituals of the Sabbath, you need to keep all the rituals of the other holy days. And the, busy, the priests were busy at the temple violating the Sabbath. But they were held guiltless, the Bible says. This was the Gape Love Feast. 
The Agape Love Feast was held every first day of the week because that's the day that Jesus resurrected. Jesus resurrected on the first day. I've gone through that. He resurrected on the first day of the week. It says the first day of the Sabbath. First day of Sabbath is when he resurrected. But if you don't know how they numbered the Sabbath, they numbered everything from the Sabbath. You had Sabbath, which we call we call Saturday. And people say, I'm not gonna I'm not going to serve God on Sunday, the day of the sun. Well will you will you cel- celebrate Jesus on on the day of Saturn? That was the father of the gods, and that's where you name Saturday after. Or will you celebrate Jesus on Moon Day or Monday or Tuesday Day? which is another name for Mars Day, or Woden's Day. Woden, Wednesday comes from Woden, the chief god of the Scandinavian world up in Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. That was their head god. Or Thor's Day, Thursday. Thor's Day, or Saturn Day, or Freya Day, excuse me, Freya which is our word Friday, Freya, which is identified with Venus, Venus Day, or Fish Day. That's where that comes from. Or Saturn Day. They numbered all of these from the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the seventh day, and the first day of the Sabbath was Sunday. The second day of the Sabbath was Monday. The third day of the Sabbath was Tuesday. The fourth day of the Sabbath was Wednesday or Woden's Day. The fifth day of the Sabbath was Thor's Day or Thursday. And the sixth day of the Sabbath was Friday or Venus Venus Day or Fish Day. And Friday to the Jews was called Parascuane, P-A-R-A-S-K-E-U-N. I put a pie there. I should have put a P. I was going to spell it in the Greek. Parascuane, the Ada, makes this feminine, and they call Friday the Eve of the Sabbath or Sabbath Eve. And they didn't call any other day of the week. And Jesus was crucified on Sabbath Eve, Parascuane. And I'm not going to go into that any further. Now, I can talk about that half a day. So, they had a love feast on the first day of the week because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead on Parascuane, Sabbath Eve, or the mother of the Sabbath. That's what Friday was called. That's the day he was crucified. Now, they had a love feast where they gathered together. You'll find them gathered together in 1 Corinthians 11th chapter to have the agape love feast. Paul tells the people, don't eat up all the food when you get here. This is for the poor. They met to give the poor. We're talking about where did 
this cracker and grape juice. Where did cracker and grape juice come from? Cracker and grape juice. Where did it come from? They kept having this day where they gathered together for the poor to bring them food and money. The Israel was very poverty-stricken. Very few people had any money. When they tell you to speak with your mouth and with these positive vibrations, you can have what you want. Nobody in Israel could do that except the Pharisees. Everybody was poverty-stricken. They were poor. And there's a lot of them. And they brought food and money. And they kept this up to around 154 55 A.D. And the Roman Empire was attacking the Christians, trying to annihilate them. Empire said, we'll wipe out these Christians. If you claim to be a Christian, that was a death sentence as far as Augustus Caesar was concerned. So they were hiding. Hiding in caves. And they were hiding under trees, going into groves of trees, into those tunnels under the under Rome. The tunnels. They were hiding, fellowshipping as Christians. They were under attack by the Roman Empire. And they would all bring their little food bags. They would bring their food bags and they'd bring cheeses and grapes and bring some grape juice and they would look at each other and say, has everybody got their their crackers or their bread and their grape juice? And they'd say, yes. They'd say, let's eat together and fellowship together while we're under attack by the Romans. And by, by around 155 to 158 B.C., the church historians tell you church historians you can read Enoch Pond great historian Enoch Pond or Williston Walker or Backhouse and Tyler excellent guys Backhouse and Tyler, and they will tell you that about 158 AD, the Agape Love Feast, the crackers and grape juice broke off of this Agape Love Feast, crackers and grape juice, broke off and became a liturgy in the corrupt church, in the second century liturgy or a ritual R-T-U-A-L became a ritual and the man that kept it alive was an early church father named Cyprian Cyprian there's some good church fathers Cyprian was off the wall you had another church father named Tertullian. This man was wacko.
he said that the New Jerusalem was up here in what we call Turkey. He was a little bit on the crazy side. Cyprian kept this crackers and grape juice as a ritual. He lived in the latter half of the 3rd century, 258 up into 300. And it was in 312 A.D. that Constantine issued the issued the the doctrine of the edict of tolerance and the church at that time in Rome was corrupt so he brought this crackers and grape juice into the Roman church and they ended up saying and it was the help of Cyprian one of these wacky church fathers you had some church fathers that were really solid and you could read them you had men like Irenaeus Irenaeus Polycarp Polycarp was pastor of the church at Smyrna after John was was boiled in oil on Patmos. He came to Smyrna. Irenaeus followed him. These are real solid early church fathers. The reason preachers don't ever refer to them because the Roman Catholics took Cyprian and Tertullian and Irenaeus and Polycarp and Ignatius And they canonized these people, whether they were good or liberal or really off the rocker or whether they were really solid men like Polycarp, Irenaeus, and Ignatius. You can read Ignatius and Irenaeus and Polycarp and the early church fathers, and they'll say some of the most profound things. I believe it was Ignatius said, he said, Oh, that I may be ground in the teeth of beasts that I may be found to be pure bread. (laughs) We're the bread. The bread is the body, the church. And that's what Ignatius said. Irenaeus said some, some of the things, same things. Polycarp made the statement when they were taking him to burn him at the stake. He said, Now I shall drink the cup of my Lord while he embraced the stake. He knew what a cup was. Ignatius knew. Irenaeus, but they called him Saint Ignatius in the Catholic Church. Saint Irenaeus, Saint Polycarp, Saint Tertullian. He was about as much of a saint as some dog. Saint Cyprian, and he was the guy that caused this to come into the Roman Church. And then it bled over to all the Baptists and the Church of Christ and what have you. All of this was blotted out. What do you want? Now let's go over here to... I can't say all of this at once. I had no intention of bringing all these church fathers up. It just comes into my teaching. I can't help it. It just happens. I read all these things and I don't know why I can read all these things and nobody else can read them. 
you know that all you have to do is get a copy get a copy of the early church fathers it's a 38 volume set but you don't need to hold 38 volumes I have the 38 all you need is the anti-Nicene fathers the Nicene council was in 325 AD the anti-Nicene fathers was before the Nicene council that's where Constantine brought the feast of Saturn in the church and renamed it Christ Mass if you notice all these early church fathers were connected with all the era and when the Catholics brought it into the church brought this crackers and grape juice they said it had the blood in the body and the blood of Christ in it that's where they came up with the mass the mass is eating human flesh they raise the Eucharist up they utter the words hoc est corpus eum filii hoc est corpus hoc est corpus eum filii And they say when they utter those words, it turns into the literal body and blood of Christ. If you don't do away the ritual, you end up with this. This is a Catholic book inside Catholicism. And they raise that Eucharist up and they turn, supposedly turn it in the body and the blood of Christ. You say, what's wrong with crackers and grape juice in communion? Well, this for one thing, what it does, it evolves into the most gross error and that's eating human flesh and that is cannibalism Christmas is the mass it's cannibalism but Jesus said my flesh is made indeed indeed is the word alethes it means of truth when you eat and drink of truth when you, it means of truth A-L-A I'll get it in a minute A-L-A-T-H-E-S of truth and truth is the word aletheia, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. And truth is a construction of lanthano and the alpha privative. Lanthano means to lie hid. The alpha privative, the A in front of a word, as a negative part of negates that word. It means not to hide anything. That's what I'm doing. I'm not hiding anything from you or anybody else. When you tell the truth, to eat flesh and drink blood means to partake in a slaughter. And I'm slaughtered every day by people on the internet and at see me on TV. You low down, you dirty dog, you you taking my Christmas away from me, and you're taking my rituals away, and you're taking my free will away. I'm not taking nothing away from you. I'm telling you what the Bible says in the original text. What the culture was. Well, you can't tell the truth in the world without getting beat up for it. I'm just telling you truth. That's all. I didn't. You think I made all this up? Who in the world could make up Enoch Pond and Williston Walker and Blackhouse and Tyler? I couldn't make that up. Now who could make up ritual and liturgy and Tertullian? Who could make up these guys? I can't make them up. I just read incessantly. I've got a book around me at all times. I've been learning since I was a little kid. I've read I read 129 books in high school. You'll know about Wyatt Earp. I'll tell you about him.
You'll know about our most famous submarine during World War II, the Silver Sides. I can tell you about that. I read about all these Western outlaws, Johnny Ringo. I can tell you about him. I can tell you about Billy the Kid. I've read his biography. I read biographies on everything. You want to know about the Red Baron, Baron Manfred von Richthofen, and his brother Lothar von Richthofen? I can tell you about them. Read five books on him from the time I was young. I liked biographies. I like to like to see how men think the way they think and what they did. Read a book on Abe Lincoln, George Washington. George Washington was a scoundrel. He was a thief. He stole 10,000 of acres of Indian land. And he told his chief, since he was a, a surveyor, he told his chief surveyor, don't tell anybody about this. They won't like this. George Washington mar didn't marry Martha Washington because she was beautiful. She was ugly as sin. She, she was the richest woman in America. She had hundreds of thousands of acres. That's why he married her. I can tell you all about history and the truth about it. But it don't even seem you want to know what the truth about the Bible. Now, do I have time? I'll get to the I'll get to back to Sabbath next week. You can't hardly preach this without saying a lot. All right, Colossians 2, verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, the rituals. There were two handwritings, one on tables of stone, one on fleshy tables of the heart. There in the third chapter of Second Corinthians, God has written his law in our hearts. Is he going to blot that out? No. What about the one on stones that was made up of all the rituals of those of those holy days? They were holy days, but the blood of bulls and goats won't take away sin. Hebrews 10 and 1. If it did, you'd have to be offering them every year. You can't have crackers and grape juice without having a Passover lamb, and we've already got one. It's called Jesus. It's a spiritual lamb. It's a spiritual cup. It's a spiritual bread. It's a spiritual... that the last thing in it was bitter herbs. That's what the sop was. I got so many things to say. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances... That was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Let me say it again. When they wanted to do away with one contract, start another, they had always had to have two parties to the contract. And they always had to have at least two verifiable witnesses that were very honest men to every contract. They'd take them out in the public and say, Are we going to invalidate this contract? They would say yes. They would take a nail and drive it through it, not unlike our taking a notary stamp and doing the same thing. 
and that held up in their courts of law and the witnesses would witness this is done away with one of the handwriting was done away with the one on tables of stone the rituals that's why it goes on to say having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it let no man therefore judge you in meat what you're supposed to be eating at the Passover at any of the rituals or drink when they had their drink offerings or respect of an holy day those were all holy days the Sabbath the Passover Pentecost Feast of End Gathering, Day of Atonement, and they had rituals and offerings that went with them. Don't you think that you can have a Sabbath without partaking in the Sabbath the way it's supposed to be taken? Which are a shadow. All these over here, Passover, Pentecost, Pentecost, Feast of End Gathering, which was also the Feast of Huts, Feast of Tabernacle, and the Day of Atonement was in that same month. These were a skia, a shade, a shadow, a shade of the real thing. The real thing is the spiritual Passover, spiritual Pentecost. And you've got that in the New Testament. The Day of Atonement was the Day of Baptism. The Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month. Atonement is the word kafar. What is the spiritual Day of Atonement? When the Lord told Noah, Noah pitch the ark within and without with pitch. First word pitch, kafar. Second word pitch. Kofir. First word pitch is a verb. The second word pitch is a noun. K-O-P-H-E-R. First word pitch means to cover. This has the same basic meaning as an infinitive. To cover. Kofir means to stain with a dye. And this pitch was a red stained it was a caulking that they caught boats with so they wouldn't sink. As eight souls were saved through water, it doesn't say by water, it says through. The water was not the was not what saved them. The pitch was what saved them. The atonement. Pitch with pitch, stain with a dye. And they marched into the on the day of atonement. The high priest would come into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain, sprinkle the ark. Sprinkle the ark. The stain had to come from an outer source. The blood of the goat on the ark of the covenant on the on the altar was brought in by the high priest right through the candlesticks, through the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and he sprinkled the ark of the covenant with the blood of the goat. That's the day of atonement when he sprinkles your heart with the blood of Christ. He's washed us from our sins in his own blood. And that's the day of our atonement. And there's no more rituals or no more goat goes with that. 
There's, there is a high priest. The priest forever after the order of Melchizedek is the one that sprinkles our hearts. That's the day of atonement. It doesn't have anything to do with killing goats anymore or sprinkling the Ark of the, the, Ark of the Covenant or sprinkling this, taking this smoke from the altar of incense and taking it in here and smoking up that inner sanctuary. It doesn't have anything to do with those rituals anymore. That was blotted out. So if you're going to keep the Sabbath, you're going to have to said it last week. No cooking on the Sabbath, Exodus 16. You stayed in your house. You didn't go to a church to listen to a preacher preach. There was no work. You couldn't do anything. One young man was killed by God's people for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. There in Numbers, the 15th chapter. You couldn't you couldn't move a piece of furniture. It was a day of rest. You could kindle no fires. That's why they had to light a candle before sundown on Friday. Sundown was the beginning of the Sabbath on Saturday. You couldn't light any fires. You couldn't drive a car. Couldn't ride a donkey. You had to stay at your house and sleep, and you could eat the food that you prepared before sundown on Friday. You had to prepare food. You can't drive your car letting four cylinders fire in a four-cylinder car, and it fires, and it sets up a fire every time it fires those cylinders. If you're a Sabbath-day worshiper, you got to do all of this to keep it holy. But it's not a, that's not what it is. And you couldn't have any entertainment on the Sabbath. No pleasure. Isaiah 58, 13. You can't watch college basketball. You can't watch TV. You sleep. No pleasure. No burdens on the Sabbath. You can't carry anything if you're going to do the Sabbath right. It's just these Sabbath keepers he causes all of his rituals he called all the new moon and feast days to cease on the Sabbath Hosea 2.11 they had to prepare the showbread every day for the had to prepare the showbread for the Sabbath are you preparing showbread do you have a high priest you have Melchizedek to carry it into the holy place so they can leave it there for the priest to eat. It's. Do I have any time? Six. If you look up contracting McClinic and Strong, it's talking about another mode of ratifying covenants was by the superior contracting party presenting to the other some article of his own dress or arms. He presented them the blood. Our, our clothing is the blood of Christ. Our robes remain made white in the blood of Christ. Thus Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was upon him and gave it to David in his garments, even his sword and to his bow, to his girdle. Subject to his cause, he disappeared and gave his robe 
then it's talking here about I don't want to read all of it it's talking about driving a nail through the contract originally to invalidate the contract they performed all of their contracts they were like a little one act play when Jesus said this cup is the new testament but a testament had no force until the death of the testator in Hebrews the ninth chapter so he's not talking about what they're doing that night this cup is the new testament the new do you think eh? but it will have no force until I'm dead about 18 hours from now So he's not talking about drinking a cup of grape juice. He's talking about drinking the cup death to self. This is all figurative language. I don't have time to read all of this. There's so much more to say about it. Uh, See if I can find that part. Price had to be paid. From the latter book, we also learn that on some occasions of purchase and exchange, the transfer was was confirmed by the proprietor plucking off his shoe at the city gate. That's what Boaz did, or that's what the nearest to kinsman did when he couldn't execute his right to Ruth as a... So he says, I'll take my shoe off and give it to you, Boaz, because Boaz wanted Ruth. It's just so much to this. Contracts were very important to them. And he, some expositors have imagined that in Colossians 2.14, Paul refers to the canceling of the contract by blotting or drawing a line across them or striking them through with a nail. Blotting out the handwriting of orders, which is contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Well, I've got so much more to say. i got so much that I didn't uh, deal with. I hope you can get a hold of this. Mr. Lightfoot, in his commentary on Colossians, will tell you the same thing of blotting out the handwriting of rituals, driving a nail through it. I've never heard that addressed in my life. But if you find out what it means, it's going to clarify that we're not in a liberal, literal Sabbath. I'm going to go into the Sabbath next week. The Sabbath is by belief in God. We rest in everything that He's preordained. We rest in all of His predestination. Hey, works everything after the council's own will. You have to learn to rest in Christ. Rest don't mean, ah, okay, I'm going to rest. No, it has to do with your mind. Anything, something bad happens, or you think it's bad, it's for your good. Everything is for our good. You get cancer, your mother gets cancer, a child dies, you lose your house, you lose your job, it's for your good and my good. I'm glad I realized that as an old man because it's too hard being young. It's extremely difficult being young. You haven't learned to let it go, let everything go. That's one of my sayings. If any of you have been around me when somebody's really hassling over something, I'll just say, let it go. Just let it go. 
It's okay. What it, it is what it is, and it's supposed to be that way because God ordained it so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, help us in all things to remember that you're the one doing everything. That if we ever learn to pray, it'll be bound to the fact that your will is being done. That takes a long time to learn to pray. Thank you for truth. More than anything, thank you for that, Lord, that we can live by it. We'll praise you for everything and glorify you for everything you do. Give us strength to bear up under all of the adversity and trials. And you fight our battles because I don't have any intention anymore of ever fighting anybody ever again. I'm just going to walk away from everything and say your will will be done with this situation. Lead us to your elect family. Crush us under your hand. Get rid of our will so we can bow to your will. We give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Boy, that's a lot of stuff there.